Good morning, New Life Church. Welcome here this morning. Wasn't it great to have a male harmonizing voice up here with Andrew? Andrew Duke married Robin Porcher. And uh, coming to the life of the church, which is kind of cool because Andrew and I were in choir at Prov together, along with Erica, years ago. I don't think we liked one another back then, to be honest, but, um, or I liked you, you didn't like, he was in the choir because he had a good voice and I was in the choir because they were in desperate need of male bodies. And uh, so it's just, one of the things I love about being back in Manitoba is these connections, again, which is uh, really cool. Anyway, I don't know uh, that it was said, but October is Pastor and Staff Appreciation Month, and uh, there's 31 days in the month of October, and, but who's counting, right? I mean... Anyway, but uh, well, the seasons are changing. Kind of felt that way this week. Got cold. There's actually frost on the windshield one or two of those mornings. And uh, the changing of the seasons, you know what that means? Pumpkin spice. Pumpkin spice. Oh, oh. No, I, li- I like pumpkin stuff. But a little, like, come on now. Pumpkin, pumpkin spice everything. Uh, no, Winnipeg Jets, guys. Winnipeg Jets starts, the season starts this week. Any amens? You unspiritual heathens. You won't amen my sermon, but you'll amen that. Anyway, they signed uh, Line A and Connor, and I'm growing my playoff beard already because it's going to be a good year. And uh, unfortunately, we, we canceled our TV package a couple of months ago. So if you see a guy hiding in the bushes outside your house, just open the door and say, come on in, Rusty. Like, just don't, <laughs> come watch the game on the inside. Anyway, I'm kind of excited about that, actually. Uh, we are, this morning, in week three of a nine-part series we're calling Upside Down Kingdom. And, and our kind of key principle truth through this series is this, that Jesus did not come down from heaven to earth to evacuate us from this place to bring us to heaven. He came here to establish God's kingdom on earth. That's what the Bible teaches. Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God here. He came to give us a new life so that we could live a new life in the present, in the here and now. And so over these weeks, we're exploring what that looks like. This is why Jesus instructed us to pray that that. that Christian prayer, which goes, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Well, you know the rest of it too. Okay, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? This is the cry of the Christian's heart because we know that this is the desire of our Father's heart. This is why Jesus came. Lord, may your will be done here the way it's done in heaven. May your will hold sway in my life completely and through me, into the world around me. This is the desire of our heart because Jesus came to establish his kingdom to to bring God's way here that we might live this new life in the here and now. We pray that way, your kingdom come, because you know, have you noticed it's not totally God's way here right now in your life or, you know, around you? We pray that because the way of the world right now is not the way of God's kingdom. And so we have this saying, that's just the way the world works. You ever said that? It's never said positively, is it? That's the way the world works. 
So I was, wow, that's the reality. That's the way the world works. And I mean, I, I find myself saying that a lot more now that I have kids that I'm raising because they come home from school and they go, Daddy, Samantha, I don't know what happened yesterday. We were like friends and today she was making fun of me. And hey, sweetie, she's just trying to impress the other kids, right, by, by doing that. She's trying to look cool. Sweetie, that's just the way the world is. Get used to it. Daddy, the teacher keeps picking on me, never picks on Johnny, and it's always... Now, great, great teachers at Argyle, just for the record. They're not picking on kids. But you know what? You know what, sweetie? Sometimes people play favorites, right? Sometimes your coach has a favorite. Sometimes your teacher has a favorite. That's the way the world works. People have favorites. Daddy, it's not fair. She's going, she's going to Disneyland again. They went last year and the year before that. Why can't? Sweetie, life isn't fair. Some people have more than other people. That's the way the world works. Right? And so I find myself saying that a lot more now that I'm uh, a parent um, because, you know, we need to prepare. I need to prepare my kids for the real world, the world the way it is. Not the world, you know, like I, I hope it would be. I wish it would be the way the world is. Now, we're called to be in the world, but we're called to not be of the world. We're called to be of the kingdom of God. And so Paul says this in Romans 12 too. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You will know the, the will of God you will live the will of God when you're not conforming to the ways of the world. Which, hey, listen, we're born in the world. We're ske- we, we, at work, you know, in the classroom. We are steeped in the ways of the world. We often just follow the pattern. He says, don't follow the pattern, but be transformed. That word transformed in the Greek is the word metamorphosis. You ever heard of that word? A metamorphosis means uh, a radical fundamental change in the form or the structure or the nature of something. It means a complete, total change. So a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Radical change. That's metamorphosis. He says, don't conform, but be transformed with a new way of living, a new way of thinking. Then you will know God's will. So the way of the kingdom is radically, fundamentally different than the way of God's world. But how? Or of the world. But, but what does that look like? And so through this series, we're exploring what does that look like? What is the culture, what is the character of the kingdom of God? Jesus gives us some great insight over a few verses at the beginning of Matthew chapter five. We call it the Beatitudes. He begins this big teaching called the Sermon on the Mount with these verses where he lists eight statements. Each statement represents a character of the kingdom of God. And so over these weeks, we're going through these characters uh, of, of the kingdom and, and what that means for us today. Last week we began by looking at the first one, uh, Matthew 5, 3, which said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we saw how the way of the world might be merit, right? You earn your place, but that's not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is mercy. In order to be, be in right relationship with God, have God's favor, inherit his kingdom, we don't, qualify, we don't earn, we don't pay. 
The only qualification is to have no qualification to be utterly spiritually poor, to come with empty hands, nothing to offer. Only they can receive this thing of greatest value. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for they will be rich. And so we see that all of these statements are upside down. We call them, that's why we're calling this series the upside down kingdom. They're all kind of paradoxical. Jesus kind of flips everything on its head. So this morning we're gonna look at the second statement. Matthew 5 verse four says this, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Pretty short. Now in Luke's version, he says blessed are those who weep now for they will laugh. Now why do they say different things? Did Jesus say one or the other? Well, you know what, he said neither. Jesus spoke in Aramaic. They wrote in Greek, so they're just taking the words they heard and they're translating them. And that's why different, different gospels kind of come at it from a bit of a different perspective. They're translating this, these, these words of Jesus. And so Luke says, blessed are those who weep now for they will laugh. Again, you see how this is upside down? Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. In other words, happy are the unhappy, Jesus says. That word blessed there, it's not this like spiritual, ethereal term. Like it means happy. A deep, a deep joy. Happy are those who are unhappy. It might be kind of one way you could interpret that. So what does Jesus mean when he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, Paul talks about how everybody mourns, okay? You're not blessed because you mourn. Just like you're not blessed because you're poor in spirit. Everybody's poor in spirit. Blessed are those who sense that they are poor in spirit, who know they have nothing to give God. Paul says everybody mourns. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 7.10. God, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. You see what he's saying? Hey, there's two different types of sorrow. There's two different types of mourning, what he calls godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, but everybody experiences sorrow. It depends how you deal with it, right? Whether you will be blessed or not. Who are those that are sorrowful, that are blessed? Well, we're gonna look at these two different ways to respond, these two different types of sorrow and mourning, the one that leads to life, the one that leads to death. And essentially, this is, this is what I want to convince you of this morning, that our world is the way of vanity, but God's kingdom is the way of vulnerability. I'm gonna unpack this. This is the big idea, that our world is the way of vanity and God's, world, or God's kingdom is the way of vulnerable, vulnerability. What is vanity? Vanity means to value appearance. Okay, to emphasize appearance. It means to, pre- it, it means to present yourself to be something different than you actually are, better than you actually are, right? That's why women wear makeup. Uh, when I was a teenager, my, my sister, she was a couple years younger than me, my, my parents installed, I remember this, they installed a vanity in her bedroom. Have you ever heard of a vanity? So it's like a shelf. I can still picture it. It's a, it was in the corner, a shelf, and it was a mirror, and it had these kind of big, round light bulbs around it. And what was it there for? 
It was there so that she could put on a different face because let me tell you, she... (laughs) She doesn't listen to these anyway. She's told me, Russ, I don't listen to your sermons. She's a beautiful uh, woman. But she, she, what, was it, what was the vanity? It was her sitting down there and putting on her makeup, covering the blemishes, enhancing, to present a different face. That's what it, and I love how whoever came up with this idea just like called it what it was. What should we call it? The beautification center? Nah, let's just call it what it is. It's vanity, okay? I love that. That would be like going to McDonald's and instead of saying Big Mac on the menu, just says obesity. It's like... <laughs> Let's not dress it up. Let's just call it what it is, okay? I'm going to have two obesities and a side order of fries. I just love that. Let's just call it what it is, vanity. It's all putting on appearances. What is it? It's about covering your weaknesses. Vanity is covering your weaknesses, your flaws, your mess, your sin and projecting something different to those around you. Now, vulnerability is the opposite of vanity. Vulnerability isn't having weaknesses. God knows we all have weaknesses. It's not about having sin. We all have sin. We all have mess. Vulnerability isn't having that. Vulnerability is exposing, choosing not to hide, but to expose one's weakness. to be honest about oneself, to present yourself as you really are, the good, the bad, the ugly. That's vulnerability, exposing your weakness. No makeup. What does this actually look like? What does this mean? Why do I say this? Well, we want to go to a parable. Uh, We're we're looking at one parable that that goes with each of these uh, different characteristics of the kingdom. This morning, we're going to look at a parable, which, which just means, you know, a story Jesus used to illustrate a point. It's maybe the most well-known parable. Certainly, the, might be my favorite. I find it a very powerful story. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. You ever heard of that? And so in Luke chapter 15, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn there because we're gonna spend the rest of our time in Luke 15. So how this begins in verse one of Luke 15, it says that tax collectors who had a bad reputation and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They're all kind of talking under their breath. Can you believe it? Sort of people that Jesus is hanging out with. So they're muttering this to themselves. And of course, Jesus knows. He hears. He knows knows their hearts. And so he tells three stories in sequence. The first two, the the, the story of the lost uh, sheep and then the lost coin are kind of small. And then he has this bigger story that communicates the same point called the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. And it begins in verse 11. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. I want my inheritance now, please. So he divided his property between them. He gave the younger his half. Now, this is is not even cool to do today, but even less so back in the day. For you to come to a living parent and say, I want my stuff now, I can't wait till you die, I wish you were dead. That's what he's saying. I wish you were dead. This is so dishonoring of his father. It's like, I, I, want your, I want your stuff more than I want you. I want it now. 
And so really, this is a rejection of the Father by the Son. But the Father grants his wish and gives him his half, even though he's very dishonored by that. And uh, we find that um, this, this young son, not long after that, he got together all he had and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he's taken all this great wealth and you know, he attracted a whole bunch of friends that wanted to uh, have fun with him and, and help him spend his money. And they partied nonstop until it was gone. And then he was surprised that it was gone and he found himself with absolutely nothing. He found himself in this terrible spot where he was destitute. Like at least he used to live in this great house and he had no needs and he ate good food and he had enough clothing and he had a dry place, warm place to sleep. And here he is, destitute in this foreign place. He's in a real big mess and he knows it. What is he gonna do? What is he going to do? Well, the story goes on. He went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, if you know the, the audience Jesus is talking to here, Jews, like that's the worst thing you could do, right? To, 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 to live and touch pigs, you know, that unclean animal. So here he is. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So the pigs are eating better than he's eating. And we're not told how long he lives in the pig pen, but he's living with these pigs. Uh, and, and, and you can just imagine, here he is, he's sorrowful. He's in a place of mourning. I don't know how long he was there, and I don't know what kept him from going back to his father's house. But I guess when he found himself destitute, he didn't right away go back. He stayed and he chose to live in a pig pen. Why? I mean, what kept him in the pig pen? Maybe pride? You know, that he knew he had made this mess and, and it, was, it, was, it was pride of not kind of acknowledging or what that would look like to others that kept him in that place instead of going home? the shame of what he had done to his father, the embarrassment that came through the situation. Maybe it was the fear. How am I going to be received if I go back? I mean, I'll, I might be rejected. Whatever it was, he, he stayed here, okay, in this place, what we call vanity, where, where he, 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 he covered his weakness, And so you see this guy, he's, he's kind of vacillating between vanity and vulnerability. What is he going to do? He's, he's, in this, he's in this bad place. What is he going to do with that? Is he going to cover it up, keep covering it up, or is he going to be honest about who he is and bring it out into the open? So after a period of time, it says he came to his senses. And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and I'm gonna go back to my father and I'm gonna say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. So what he's saying here is I'm just gonna get real. I'm just gonna get honest here. I'm gonna go back, father, this is what I've done. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he's kind of creating this speech. 
And so he gets up and he goes to the father. And all the while, you know, it's a long journey. He was in a distant land. He's probably nervous the whole time. What's gonna happen when I show up, when they found out what I did, the mess I'm in? How are they gonna respond? And he's rehearsing this speech over and over again. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and then I'm gonna fall on my knees and I'm gonna kiss his hand and I'm gonna beg for mercy. If you would just make me like a hired man again, you know, I could, I'll live with them, I'll eat the, I'll eat the scraps. So he's rehearsing this speech as, as he goes uh, back uh, just to, to be real, to make himself vulnerable. We're told that while still a long way off, his father saw him. So you can imagine him kind of showing up on the horizon. The father recognizes his son approaching. Why? Probably because he's looking for him. He probably stood at the edge and, and scanned every day. So, so he sees his, his son approaching. Uh, he was filled with compassion for him and he ran out to his son. Now you have to, that might not seem weird to you, but listen, back in this day, especially if you're a rich, prominent person, you didn't run. Remember rich people, they put them on these little padded chairs and carried them on their shoulder? And, and those people got fat. Like I remember being in China, going to uh, the Temple of Heaven in Beijing, and, and, and once a year, the emperor of China had to walk. He had to do it. It was, it was the ritual. The emperor of China had to walk 365 feet from his palace to the temple to offer sacrifice once a year. And most of the time he couldn't do it because he'd gotten so fat because he never walked and he never lifted a finger. Everything, everyone did everything for him, right? Okay, because he was rich. And here we see this wealthy, prominent man running to his son, threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. So just picture this. It's not hard to do. Picture the juxtaposition. Did I say that right? The juxtaposition. Don't tell, I'm not, I don't know what that word means. It just felt like it fit there. Of this scene. You have this guy being honest. This guy in mourning. He comes and he falls on his face and he starts saying, listen, it's okay. Like, I'm so unworthy. If you would just make me like one of your hired men. So this is what he's doing. And how is the father responding? He's not even listening to the guy. He's like, hey, bring my best robe, that gold one with, with, the, with the purple tassels that hang off the end that we only bring out on special occasions. Go bring that and that calf that we've been keeping for a really special occasion, go kill that calf because we're gonna party tonight. And so he's begging for mercy and his father is just arranging this party and throwing this robe on him puts a gold ring on his finger. Do you see what's happening here? What Jesus is trying to say, you, you get how this, this, this father is God, right, in this story? What Jesus is saying is God loves broken people. God loves broken people. God loves people who are in a mess, who have made a mess. God loves you not just for, who you, for, for, for what 
he wished you would be or you could be, but he loves you for who you are, warts and all. That's what he's saying. God loves broken people. The Bible says he's close to the get downcast. He's close to the broken hearted. God loves to forgive. He loves to heal. He loves to restore. He loves to give compassion. This is God. The man comes and he makes him, he turns from vanity, covering his shame, to now coming and exposing that. And this is how, this is how his father, this is how God responds to us. Now, isn't that great? I mean, you might say, well, that, if there's a God and if God is like that, that would be awesome. Is that maybe just fanciful thinking? Is that wishful thinking? Uh, no. That's the truth. And, and, and we know that's the truth because we know that we believe that God came into the world and took on flesh. Jesus Christ came into the world in time and place in history. And the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. While we had made a mess of our lives, God loved us so much that he came and he, and he lived and he died on the cross in our place and he rose from the dead to make a way for healing and wholeness and restoration because God loves forgiveness. God loves us. That's real. That's our God. God loves broken people. In fact, if, if you go and you look at the first two little parables, the parable of the lost son and the, or the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, at the end of each, Jesus says, how much more rejoicing in heaven there will be when one sinner repents, when one mournful person comes and exposes their mess in their situation and brings that out to the open, how much more celebration will there be in heaven than for 99 people who didn't need to do that? Heaven throws a party, Jesus says. When someone moves from vanity to vulnerability, because that's the way of the kingdom, God loves broken people. What does this way of vulnerability look like for us? I mean, yeah, I mean, it means being honest before God, but that's, I mean, who are we kidding? How could you not be honest before God, right? You can't, we know you can't hide from God. You might try, but God sees everything. He knows your heart. He, know what you, he knows what you did. He knows the mess you're in. He knows how you feel. You can't really hide anything from God, but you can hide your true self from one another, from others, right? You can put on a face and, 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 and try to appear to be someone that you're not. You can cover your weakness here. Why would you try? Well, because that's what you learn to do. That's the way of the world. If you expose that, you might get hurt. You might be shamed. You might be rejected. There's a show that my wife watches called The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Have any of you watched that? Me neither. That's one of those girly shows. Don't go near the 10-foot pole because I'm a man. Can I be vain here? Can I be vain? I'm a man. Me strong. Me no watch girly movies. Except I did a little bit. The other night, you know, we were in bed and she was watching this on Netflix and she really wanted me to watch Marvelous Miss Mace with her and I'm like, oh. So I gave her a few minutes and, and did that and um, 
So in the show about this, this woman, young married woman, her name is Mrs. Maisel. Uh, every night she goes to bed. <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know if this takes place in the 50s or something, but she's, you know, she's got perfect makeup and an outfit and hair. And, uh, and she goes to bed and, and uh, with her husband, they turn off the lights and when he falls asleep, she gets out of bed, goes into the bathroom, washes her makeup off, and lets her hair down, and then goes back to bed. And then, about 20 minutes before the alarm goes off for her husband to get out of bed, she, gets, she sets her alarm, and she gets out of bed, and she goes, and she puts on her makeup, and she does her hair, and then she goes, and she lies down, and she pretends to wake up with him when the alarm goes off. And kind of the funny thing in this whole show is, he never ever sees his wife. He only ever sees the version of his wife that she puts out there, which is not the reality. Now some of you men, you're wishing that your wife, no, I'm kidding, I'm just, I don't, I should have kept that on the inside, I really should have. <laughs> don't tell my wife I said that, she's not here right now. <clears throat> and I wonder, we go, that's crazy, that's crazy that you would go to those lengths to do that. Don't we do the same thing? Can't we do the same thing? Don't, isn't this the way the world? We, we cover whatever it is, the weakness. Maybe it's, maybe it's our own sinful struggle. Maybe it's, it's something we're embarrassed about, marital, some marital or relational issue. Maybe it's, maybe it's some mental health issue that we're kind of embarrassed about. And we cover it up. And we only put out there that which we want people to see. Vanity. I, I was listening to CJOB the, maybe two weeks ago, and, and they just talked about a study that came out, and I think it was done of men in Manitoba. They said that 80, I can't remember the exact number, maybe 80% of men s- surveyed felt like they w- could not tell anyone at work about their mental health issues for fear that if they did, their, co- their co-workers, their boss would think less of them and they might lose their job. So what did they do? They cover it up. Protect it. Put out something that's different. That's not really truly them. The problem with that is that stuff doesn't go away. That pressure builds and people wither and die on the inside. And you know what? Our community is full of beautiful homes, three-car garages. At one point, it went from two to three. I don't know how that happened. Two to, now it's three. Everything looks like you got all your stuff together, but you don't. But people feel like they have to look as if they do. And so on Facebook and whatever, Instagram, they put these pictures and they create this persona that makes everyone else feel like, man, my life sucks. My house is a mess. They're, I mean, everyone else's houses are, are, are just immaculate. My kids are a mess. Everyone else's kids are so good and well-behaved, right? My marriage is a mess, but everyone else's marriage seems to be so happy. And so we cover our weaknesses. And um, as Paul said, sor- uh, God or a worldly sorrow leads to death. 
people are struggling on the inside but for whatever reason can't feel like they can share that. Maybe they've been hurt by that in the past and the sad thing is some people feel that way. They try to do the same thing in church in the community of faith, right? Feel like maybe you've got to come here and you have to be somebody that people want you to be, that you're supposed to be. You have to look a certain way and act a certain way and there's things that you can talk about and there's just things you can't talk about. Those things you need to cover. And you put on makeup and you present yourself. And we tend to do this. This is the way of the world. <clears throat> we're afraid of how we might be received if we uncovered and people found out who we really were, what we were really dealing with if we exposed our weakness. But the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is not a kingdom of vanity. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of vulnerability. It's a kingdom where we don't pretend and we don't need to pretend And so James says in his little letter, James 5.16, he says, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. He talks about the connection between bringing, kind of exposing honestly the weakness before others and then finding healing in that. What James is saying is we need, to, we need to bring what's in darkness into the light. We need to confess that sin. If there's a sinful struggle, we need to confide that weakness with someone or some group of people because that's the key to healing. That's the way of the kingdom. It is a kingdom of vulnerability. Vanity will keep you isolated. Uh, thinking you're the only one. You know, Paul said in 2 uh, Corinthians 12, I think verse 11, he said, uh, and, and it's a few verses, but he, he finishes by saying, for when I am weak, then I am, remember, you've heard that? What does he mean? When I am weak, then I am strong. When I don't have to pretend to be someone, when I can be honest about my weaknesses, honest about my sins, about who I am, then I can truly be strong. I can find the strength from God and others to progress to grow in healing to find joy to be comforted to laugh because blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted but vanity will keep you isolated thinking you're the only one Um, you know I'm the only one who struggles with pornography in here I bet no you're not if people only knew the truth they would, they would condemn me. No, they won't. Or they ought not to. You know, the turning point for me years ago was when I took the issue out of darkness where I was trying to cover and manage it myself and that never works. I took it out of darkness and brought it into the light and I went and I found an, an accountability partner and over a, a, a season of that found healing. Those who confide their weaknesses, they will be the ones who are comforted, who are healed. Um, you know, on that issue, just, just to kind of put a plug, you haven't heard about it yet, but November 2nd, that's a Saturday, the five Saturdays in November, there's going to be a series here for men called Conquer. It's about developing a battle plan for sexual purity. Listen, there, there ought to be no stigmas in the church. This is where we can deal with anything and everything. Whatever weakness. 
And so this is a, this is a, a, a group open to guys, whether, whether you struggle with sexual purity, um, whether you just want to kind of strengthen your defenses against that, or whether you maybe got you're a, a son in your house that you're raising that you want to be equipped to how to, how to help and guide him. Whatever it is, um, this is, we want to create a space for people to be vulnerable so that they can be strong. Because when you're weak, then you're strong. So if you try to be strong, we'll grow weaker and weaker. In the church, we need to be real, right? Because the, the church is a hospital for sinners. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying in this parable. The church is a hospital for sinners. Don't carry your burden alone. So let me ask you a question. What pig pen are you sitting in right now? Is there something that you're trying to, some weakness, whatever it might be, something that grieves you, causes you to mourn? Is, is there some way in which you're, you're kind of living vanity? You're covering that up from others. And appearing, trying to appear a different way. Pretending. Is there a pig pen you're sitting in right now? What, what, what keeps you in that pig pen? Pride will keep you in that pig pen. Shame will keep you in that pig pen. Fear will keep you in that pig pen like it kept this guy for, for who knows how long. Let me ask the question, what would it take for you to leave the pig pen and uncover your weakness? You know, maybe in life group to share that struggle that you, that you haven't shared or with that, with that close confidant to bring that out, something that you've that, that, that you're, you're, you, you've been covering, but you need help. Because sometimes we just need to ask for help. We need to uncover our weakness. That's what we need in order to be strong. So what would it look like for you to leave the pig pen and be honest about yourself? To take off that mask and ask for help. What would that, what would that look like if you find yourself in some way in that pig pen? Jesus is the kingdom of God is the place where you do that where you can be vulnerable because that's the sort of God we have and that's the sort of way we ought to be with one another. You know, this isn't just a story of one son. Whoever named this got it kind of wrong. It's not, uh, it's not uh, the, the tale of the lost son. It's the tale of two sons, right? And so the, the story goes on for a few more verses. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went in and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? That doesn't seem fair. Do you see how he describes? Now, I've read this story I don't know how many times over the years, but I, I, I saw something I never saw before, and it made my heart glad because I'm like, yeah. There's a little nugget here that, that Jesus is giving us. 
How, how does this older son refer to his, his, his brother when talking with, with his dad, that first line? This son of yours. Don't we do this as parents? Erica, that kid of yours. Erica, your dog pooped on the carpet. She wanted the dog. Your dog pooped on the carpet. I ain't dealing with it. So what is he doing? He's trying to separate himself, right? I'm not responsible for this situation. I wasn't a part of that mess or whatever. I, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not responsible, this son of yours. He sees him as an offender, not as a brother, right? But the father responds, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Yet we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. How does the father refer to this elder son's brother? He says in the middle there, because this brother of yours was dead. He says, son of mine? Mm, brother of yours. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Am I responsible to come alongside and to welcome and to help and to forgive and to create a space where people can be honest without fear? People can be encouraged and that is celebrated. Yes, you are responsible for that, Jesus says. This is the way it works in the kingdom of God. The way of vulnerability you know, I know that there are people right now out in our community that used to be here once. They've been gone for a long time and now they're scared of coming back. They're scared of the looks they're gonna get. They're scared, scared of the questions they're gonna get, the reception, because it's been so long. You know people like that? I hear about these people quite frequently. They're worried when they come back, maybe it'll be this instead of this, right? God loves broken people, Jesus says, and we need to as well. Because we're all broken people. We're broken. We have weakness. We need to bear one another's burdens in the kingdom. Create a space where people can be honest without fear. Where people don't have to, uh, where we don't run from people's burdens, but we help people carry their burdens. We love people for who they are, warts and all. So maybe another question for us, for you, is is there any way in which you might be standing aloof? Maybe someone has reached out and they haven't gotten open arms. Maybe you haven't forgiven. Maybe, maybe you're standing apart. Maybe you're not asking the question, how are you really doing? Be honest with me. Tell me the truth, I want to know. I love you guys. I don't know how many people come up to me now and they go, Rusty, how you doing? I go, good. And they go, Rusty. Rusty. How you really doing? I'm like, good, get off my back. Jeez. Like as if I wasn't doing good, I'd tell you. Come on. No, no, I'm gonna bottle this up. I don't practice what I preach. I love that though. I love that, Rusty. I'm looking for the quick answer. How you really doing? I know it's got to be hard and heavy. And I love that, you know, caring for one another. But we can be honest. I'm going to be a pastor or this or that or leader. Or what? We can be who we are. We can be real with our weaknesses. Because when we are weak, then we are 
strong. And I want this church to be a place where we can be weak, okay? Whatever that means for you, we can be weak because that's the kingdom. That's what we need to be if we're to be strong is we need to be weak. So my question for you, where are you in this story? Where are you in this story? What would it look like for you to embrace the way of vulnerability, either as the younger son or as the older son? Because you know what, in the story, we're actually both. What would it look like for you to embrace the way of vulnerability? What would it look like for you, instead of covering your weakness, to expose, to be honest with who you are? What would it look like for you to help others do the same, to create that sort of space, to welcome people with the sort of compassion that that father welcomed his son? What would that look like? I mean, that's just something to ponder as we, as we go ahead and take communion now. And as we, as we take the bread and drink this cup, I mean, let's remember what this is all about, right? That bread you're gonna hold in a moment symbolizes the blood of Christ or the, the body of Christ which was broken for you. Jesus was broken, you know, to save broken people, to heal broken people. That's us. And we celebrate that. So as we take communion here, here's just a picture. One of my favorite paintings. Rembrandt painted this. just called the Parable of the Prodigal Son. And, um, you know, as we take this... Uh, bread and cup as that's past you. You're going to have a few moments of just quiet reflection. Maybe you just want to meditate on that picture and, and thank God for his compassion for you and ask God, God, how can I live the way of vulnerability, the way of the kingdom? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your love for us is just so deep and wide and that it's not connected to us being a certain way. You love us for who we are, all of our grime and our sin and our mess and our shortcomings and our flaws, blemishes. You love us for who we are and you welcome us with open arms. Um, We thank you, Father, for that love. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who came and he died while we were sinners. So Lord, give us the strength to be weak. I just speak to everyone in this room right now, Lord, whatever it is that they need to do with this. Lord, if there's, if there's any weaknesses that's being covered up, is there, if there's any face that's being put on, we know that's not good, that's not healthy. Lord, I just pray that you would give them the courage, the strength to be weak. Lord, and in doing that, they would find the ability to be truly strong, to truly be truly comforted, to truly laugh. Lord, just make us the sort of people that... Uh, that have those same welcoming arms for others as well. Those who have received your love and give it away freely. In Jesus' name.